I don't have to tell you that, that Christmas is a, a magical season. Um, maybe not for everybody, but I think for most of us, some of our richest memories that we carry with us and probably will carry with us until the day we die are formed in this season that we're in right now. Uh, you know, I, 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 there's these like precious little gems in my head of, of Christmas's past for me. Like remembering one of my first gifts that I can remember, and my, my, my dad bought me this, this little green tractor that you pedaled with a little tiny wagon on the back of it. And, uh, and, and I was in the back room, and they brought us out, and there it was. It was like glowing, you know, like a heavenly light on top of this little cool tractor. And I was so excited to get that thing that I just drove it all around the house. My parents have a pastor, and I just drive it all the way around the house. And I remember going to sleep that night, and um, I woke up in the middle of the night, came back out and peeked just to see if it was there. You know, it's, it's a dream. And the quirky memories that I, that I have of my Uncle Fred, who would always carve the Christmas turkey, and then he would always insist that we wash every dish, every fork, every spoon, and every knife before we opened any gift. And that was torturous. <laughs> Naturally, you have yours too. You know, memories and, and thoughts of baking cookies, of, of watching Christmas movies together, singing songs, um, playing games, putting together puzzles, um, watching a child open a gift and experiencing that euphoric surprise and the scream when they, they, review, or they realize what it is and they're so excited. Like these are just magical moments that, that we carry w with us. And uh, of course, then there's the memories of, of being around a table with great food, with family and friends, the people you love and love you. Um, and it's just, it's just a magical time. And it's because of that that oftentimes this time is also equally hard and difficult, especially for our church this year. Uh, we have had, and I've said this before, and most of you know this because you've attended a lot of memorial services this year, but we've lost more family than members of this body right here in this year than, than we have ever before. And so there's going to be a certain wintry um, emotion this year in this season. And it's not just that we've lost people within our congregation. Uh, our two secretaries, Sharon and Sarah, um, took the time to, to start counting how many people in our congregation have lost loved ones that aren't necessarily part of our congregation. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. And the, the number that they arrived at was in one year, 32. There's, there's going to be a lot of people who will be sitting around a table with, with empty chairs and, and faces that won't be seen again. And because of that, and because this is the time of rich, magical memories, um, it's, going to, um, it's going to carry with it a, 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 a tremendous sense of, of loss and lament and sadness, too. And you know, that's a, that's a perfectly normal, expected thing. You know, um, oftentimes we don't take the time to realize that, you know, God gave us gifts to enjoy. You know, he, he, he gave us a, a, a church building like this to enjoy. He gives us a setting to enjoy. He gives us a decorations to, he wants us to enjoy those things. He wants us to enjoy turkey dinner and stuffing and, and whatever else you serve, ham. He just wants us to enjoy those things in thanksgiving to him. That he wants us. He's given us gifts to enjoy of, 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 of friends coming over, um, of family, of spouses, of mothers and fathers. Like those are those are very real gifts, and, and we were created in such a way that, that our joy is tied to created things. It's tied to created things. You remember at the beginning of the Bible when God 
looked at Adam all by himself and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And he gave him Eve. That is, she was part of his joy. In the same way that the people who have passed on has, have been given to us as part of our joy. But as good as those gifts are, and as wonderful as they are, and as thankful as we should be for them, um, those are gifts that at the end of the day we cannot keep. At least not yet. And to recognize that in the middle of this time there is a, there's a place for lament in our laughter and there's a place for sadness um, as we seek to rejoice in the birth of Christ. Well, because that's kind of our context where we're at emotionally, kind of in a, a wintry time at our church, um, I thought it would be good for us just to kind of clear things away and come back to like what is the core of our joy when when it's raining outside and, the, and it's snowing and things are dark and it's cold and people are missing, like where do we return to find that joy in the middle of dark winter? And I believe um, that you could sum up the center of our joy with that single word that we've just sung, Emmanuel. Uh, it's a, just a Hebrew word that means God with us. God with us. And it's one of the names that was given to Jesus in the opening chapters of Matthew in anticipation of prophecies that took place almost seven centuries before he was born. Verse 21 is a continuation of the news that the angel gave to, to Joseph about his wife and their coming son. The angel proclaimed this, said, she, that is Mary, will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, this is what the prophet wrote, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. There was an anticipation seven centuries before Jesus was ever born that there would be this virgin that would have a, 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 a miraculous conception, which was more than just a miracle. It pointed to the origins of who this person would be, that they are not merely human, that he would not be merely human. That is, his father would come from another place, that is, from heaven itself. And in this one person born of a virgin, you would have the uniting together of creator and creation, of heaven and earth, of the divine and the human, son of God, son of man in one person. That's, that's what's behind here. That is God with us, Emmanuel. I want to reflect on Emmanuel in a number of different ways, in the past, in the present, and the future, because I think all three apply. But before I go there, I just want to say that at the very heart of the story of the Bible, from the beginning to the end, and woven all the way through, is this concept or idea of God with us. I mean, it, the very opening picture of, of perfection is nothing less than God with us. The Garden of Eden, if anything, was a place where God was with his people firsthand. There was this cohabitation of the presence of God directly with his people. God with us at the very beginning of the story of the Bible. And then in one tragic moment, one tragic, willful choice of distrust and defiance, 
The human race chose a different course, and as a result, there was exile. There was separation. And all of those things I just mentioned were, were severed. That, that, that between heaven and earth and creator and creation and divine and human were severed. As God with us began, but God with us was lost. But God, in, a, in an amazing act of merciful love, was not content to leave us outside and exiled, but over the course of, of thousands of years, made these covenant promises, you know, these contractual promises to his people that they didn't deserve, the heart of which, every time, was this concept of God with us. In other words, saying that the whole covenant hope of the whole Bible woven all the way through is that there would be a reunion again of God with us. It's part of that, like the, the, these are, the idea of God with us is like, like blood throwing through the veins of the Bible itself. So when God came to Abraham and made the covenant promise, he, he um, said, and I will summarize it, listen, I'm going to bless you, and I am going to be a God to you, and you are going to be a people to me. That's relational language that implies that there was going to be a reunion. There's going to be a God with us. He made the same promise to Isaac. He said, I will be with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. That is relational language that suggests that there's going to be a reunion. God with us. Made the same promise, covenant promise to Jacob. I will be with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. That's a covenant promise of reunion. And then all the way through, this, and covenants are the backbone of the whole Bible, from beginning to end. At the very center of all of them, we find this idea of, you will be my people, and I will be your God. That's an anticipation of God with us. So you have woven through the prophets like Isaiah, or excuse me, Ezekiel, verse 20 of chapter 11. It says, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. There's this idea of mutual dwelling, cohabitation of God with man. Verse 27 of, of Ezekiel 37. My dwelling place, that is my habitation, where I'm going to live shall be with them, my people, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's, it's like just courses over and over and over again through the Bible. This is the anticipation in the prophets, in the writings. And you have Jeremiah 31, 33. He looked forward to a day in which God would establish a new covenant because the old one could only point to atonement. It couldn't achieve atonement. But the heart of it is exactly the same. That I will put my law within them and I will write into their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See that the language is the same. Pulses through the Bible. This anticipation of God with us, of uh, this cohabitation like it was at the very beginning. God and man dwelling together. So maybe it makes a little bit more sense or adds a little bit, I think, a lot of significance to this angelic announcement where it says that this son will be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, in one sense, this is a historical realization. He came, you know, 2,000 year, years ago. God arrived in human flesh. He came, God with us. But I find it a bit, uh, I don't know if irony is the right word, ironic. It, he came to be with us 
to do something so that he could be with us. That is, he couldn't just be with us without taking care of what caused the fracture to begin with. So he came to be with us so that he could do something so that he could be with us. Emmanuel, the arrival of Jesus for the sake of making it possible for Emmanuel. That he came to be with us so that he could achieve something so that he could be entirely for us. You notice there's two names given in these verses. There's Jesus and there is Emmanuel. The second one tells us who he is. God has arrived. God is with us. That's the identification of Jesus. Son of God, son of man. Emmanuel. The first name, Jesus, is a name that that communicates his mission. What Emmanuel had to do so that Emmanuel could happen. God with us had to do something so that God could be with us. And he explains the meaning of the name when he says, His name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It stands to reason that the very thing, the tragic thing that caused a fracture to begin with and separated heaven from earth, God from human, sin had to be dealt with. It had to be removed. Now it's, you know, it's interesting talking about sin as a preacher or thinking about it as a Christian because we talk about it so often that it's often evacuated of all emotion. But we know what sin is in this room. And many of us, if not all of us, have been injured by it. We have had people talk about us. We have been slandered. You may have been robbed. Have somebody treat you with disrespect. There's, I'm sure, people in this room that have been molested. Others, the object of rape. And you know what sin feels like. And you know the anger that it produces and the damage that it causes. There is a huge amount of pain and devastation associated with this thing we often abstractly call sin. That produces pain, produces uh, damage, and produces this just anger. Now I think about that. I think about the, the emotional effects of sin and how we feel when we're injured. And imagining how it would feel to have a trusted, close, loved friend turn on you in every way possible and commit atrocities maliciously that damaged your family and your children and your own life. How immeasurably angry you would be. That kind of anger makes a person want the cause of that pain to rot in a pit of hell. Now as a Christian, you may not ever say that. But nevertheless, when you experience that kind of evil attack in your life, you wish it. There is a sense of anger in the face of injustice and i think about the fact that that is just a sliver whatever we experience in terms of the damage and the anger produced by injustice in our lives is but a sliver of the personal offense and subsequent anger that the lord feels 
against the damage that sin causes to his creation and to his own honor. Like, there is no understanding. There is no understanding the measure of the anger of God against sin. The cross is the only place you can go to see, wow, that was angry. God was angry on that day. And he poured out his anger on the one instead of the many. And just to think that, okay, that's the heart of God in response to human sin. And to realize that given that, he made the first move to remove it. You know how like, like fundamentally unhuman that is? You hurt me, you robbed me, you stole from me, you stole my stuff. And I'm going to take the initiative to do something to take away the offense. Like, that's completely absurd. Nobody does that. God did. He's the one who, who, who took the initiative to take away what we did. That's, that itself is a sheer act of, of gracious love and mercy. He didn't have to. And in love satisfied that intense anger that he had so that you and I could be with him and so that he could be with us the more i just continue as over my christian life to just continue to let that sink in the level of my depravity and the immenseness of his grace the more i am humbled and the more i am overjoyed at the greatness of god but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when i was dead made me alive together with Christ. Emmanuel, God with us in the past, came to do something so he could be with us forever. So if you're here this morning, regardless of how wintry it is, you've got to recognize that we, we sit here, we're living right here in this moment as free people, fully and completely forgiven. The debt was paid, period, for all past and present and all future offenses, it has been covered, taken care of, paid in full. And to, to sit and to rest in the fullness of that. You stand in the full light of God's radiant love. There's not a, sh a shred or a sliver of animosity towards you anymore or towards me. Knowing that I'm a fallen, fractured person who still makes mistakes. To know he loves you. Because of Emmanuel past. Made it happen. That should cause a sense of joy to rise in the heart and, and praise. Lord, I can't believe you would do such a thing. God with us did something so God could be with us. Now granted, Jesus is no longer here physically. That, as I said, was a past historical realization. But Jesus did not leave us as orphans. He would not leave us alone. And so he, he sent his spirit, the spirit of Christ to us. So that in another sense, Emmanuel is present tense too. Jesus promised us at the very end of the same gospel right here. It's like, lo, I'm with you. Not sometimes, not once in a while, not frequently, but I'm with you always to the end of the age. I, I will always be present with you. You may not see me physically, but I am present with you in spirit. 
And that is not an abstraction. That is a reality. And we may not at times feel like he's present with us. But you have to remember, feelings are not truth. And they are not to be the basis of our faith. Rather, our experience in our faith is based on the truth of what he has declared to us. I'm with you. And the only way for that to be possible is for the spirit of Jesus to be right here in this room, real. To pause and to say what we already sung, you are here. He's here, personally present, right here in this room. He couldn't be closer to you than your own skin. And whether you know it or not or feel it or not, he has been teaching you and guiding you, preserving you, sustaining you, praying for you, interceding for you, bringing you back when you wander, sustaining your faith, bringing encouragements at just the right time. He's ever-present with his people. Every second of every week in every path we go, he's not like the friend who says, listen, I'll be with you so long as you walk the perfect walk. It's like, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm with you if you're mine. I'm with you when you screw up. doesn't mean I'm for your screw up. It means I'm with you. I don't abandon you. He has bound himself inseparably to us. And to live in the light of the fact that we're, we're, we're with him. He's with us already by nature of the fact that Jesus did what he did. The spirit is here. There is no separation. And to remember that this season, that, that he's ever present with you. God with us right here, right now. Amen. He sympathizes with your weaknesses. He knows your groans and pains. And he intercedes and prays and groans for you. Yes. That's him. Just if you, we could pause and just realize that. You know, just to stop and say, you're here. Like, you're really here. Now, I felt really bad for um, the part played by Tom Hanks in Castaway, you know. Dated movie, I know. Got to update my files. But, you know, I watched him on that island, and, of course, I process everything through my Christian faith and Bible and trying to make analogies. My kids hate it. And... Uh, and watching him on, that, that, on that, uh, that tropical island, you know, and it's just like, it's all by himself. No dialogue until he invents another person. Wilson, right? Volleyball. He like, he's so alone, we're not meant to be alone, that he invents another person and has conversations with the volleyball. And I remember thinking, watching that, going, man, the Christian so has the advantage on that island. Because we don't have to talk to a volleyball. It's like to know the presence of Jesus is right here, right in the cave or out on the beach. He's here with me. Or as, as the psalmist says, like the angel of the Lord encamps surrounds those who fear him. Like the Lord is ever present, though you don't see him with your eyes. That doesn't deny the truth that he's every bit, every bit is present spiritually as, he, as spiritually as he would be physically. It's here. So let that sink in. Not just the God with us past, but God with us present. Christ is with us. And you know what? Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know Emmanuel is our shepherd, and we don't have to fear because he is with us. And his goodness and mercy will follow us on our path all the days of our life, and then we will enter into the future where God with us finds its fullness. God, Emmanuel, with us 
future. You know, as the Bible begins, so the Bible concludes. I told you that the pulsing heart all the way through in all of these covenants and promises is the idea of I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them. That is the hope of the whole Bible. And at the end of time, Emmanuel will bring back together what was separated in the beginning. Heaven and earth become one. The divine and the human dwell together as one. No more separation. The spiritual and the physical are reunited as one. So it shouldn't surprise us when we get to the end of the Bible, covering all of that kind of, those veins of pulsating anticipation of God with us, to hear the Apostle John write what he sees when he says, and he must have been euphoric when he saw it. He's just like, he's seeing the end. He's seeing our future. He's seeing our hope when he says, and I saw, I saw the holy city. That's the dwelling place of God. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, coming down. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You know how many times he stated from the throne, with, 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 and dwell? A lot. One more time. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's Emmanuel brought to its final conclusion. And that's the hope we have. At some point, Night is going to give way to dawn, and the light's going to shine, and death will be swallowed by life, and darkness by light. There will be no more tears, no more imperfection, only the perfect union. And that is a hope that, that, is a hope that gives a heart joy in the harshest of winters. That's what we have, no matter what gifts we lose, and we can't hold on to them. Not yet. There's a hope that God is going to restore and reclaim and renew and recreate. And that hope allows us to sing the songs of Emmanuel despite our condition. So let the single word Emmanuel, its past and its present and future dimensions, let it rise up in your heart this Christmas. Because at the end of the day, when everything else is lost, we still have that. And that really is everything. If, I'm going to pray in just a moment for us, but if you would like to be prayed for, we want to make it a practice here every Sunday. After the message, if people wanted to be prayed for something regarding physical healing or spiritual or emotional or you just have somebody else in your family that you want prayed for, like we did last service, then, then we want you just to come up and, and just allow the Spirit of God to minister through prayer to your needs. And uh, just not to be afraid. And if you've already been prayed for another week, don't tell yourself, well, I've already been prayed for. I don't need to be prayed for again. It's like, you know, you're dead wrong. 
You know, it's a persistent prayer, the knocking on the door over and over and over again in prayer that, 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 that um, Jesus taught us um, to do. So I'll pray those who um, are going to be up here, if you could take your place while I pray. And if you deacons or elders see that there's not enough people, will you please just step up and come on up? We want to pray for you as we close our service in some worship. Lord God of heaven, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we are, uh, we are a broken but loved people, and we ask that you would continue to mold us and shape us and humble us and take away our fears, that you would allow us the grace to set our hope on Christ and Christ alone, who came in the past, is present in the present, and will be the final culmination in the future. We pray that you soak, soak our hearts in that, set our hearts on that, establish our hearts on that truth, and give us joy this Christmas, even amidst the lament and the sadness. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and for the sake of the good of his people.